welcome. You've got mail. Welcome to another edition of TechStream. I'm Seth Everett. This is Shelly Palmer. We are poised and ready for another week of this podcast. And uh, I would have told you from the minute I heard the word chat GPT. I heard that word. I knew we were going to do podcasts on it. I heard the word. I knew I'd want to play with it. I heard the word. And then I said, when are they going to start asking for money? <laughs> when they announced that they were going to have uh, chat TBT plus, I said, oh, really? <laughs> In other words, water is wet. Uh-huh. Well, you know, hey, we are about to have TechStream Plus, Seth Everett Plus, and Shelly Palmer Plus, that's you know, because that's just the way it is. There's also Apple TV Plus. There's also yeah. uh, Paramount plus. plus. I mean, come on. We, everything is going to be plus. So this is plus 20 bucks a month. That's what it holds. 20 bucks a month? Yeah, it's a bargain. I, I'm No, I, it's not worth it. It's not that good. Oh, it's sad. not that good. And there were studies that came out that you even covered on your blog it's only 26% accurate. Come on. No, no, hey, no, 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 no. You have no, to get much better than no, that. No, no, no. You're getting your stats wrong. The AI classifier that detects the fact that you have used GPT uh, uh, or chat GPT or GPT-3 to craft your prose is only 26% accurate in figuring out that the writing itself was done by AI. Now, Chat GPT it sits over GPT-3 or 3.5. Um, there are plenty of open AI APIs you can go to, but if you're going to use Chat GPT, this is an application that's like a text uh, client. It's like talking to somebody on WhatsApp or talking to someone on Facebook Messenger or texting a friend, and you talk to it, and it talks back, and you ask it for stuff, and it has read the public intranet and some other stuff all the way up to 2021. So if... You properly craft your prompt. We call it prompt crafting, clever name for us, but you'll also hear prompt engineering or prompt tuning. A lot of people have different names for it. When it is right, it is 100% right. And when it is wrong, it is 100% wrong. It doesn't replace anyone or anything, but it is a powerful, powerful tool. And and when used right, and like all tools, when used by amateurs or by, when, if you bought the most expensive hammer in the hardware store and expected it to build the house for you, you'd be sadly disappointed because it would just lay on the table till you used it. You you can't expect this to write the next great American novel. It's not what it's for. And uh, yeah, so anyway, 20 bucks a month. Here's here's the thing with the price. And I think I'd love TechStream listeners to weigh in on this and tell me, what you think specifically, but and you could do that at Shelly Palmer on Twitter or at TechStream on Twitter. Um, but or you could even, you know, reach out to Seth, even though he doesn't like Chat GPT. Like I don't think you should reach out to Seth because he hates it. No, but if I don't you didn't like it, it like you like it. Well, no, you don't. You so love it. I well, think it's cool. I love it is maybe too strong. Here's the thing. I now use Chat GPT roughly three to five times a day for something in business. What do I use it for specifically? Um, I might use it to help me with a rough draft of a recommendation letter or an introduction. I might use it to create bullet points for a presentation or for some correspondence. I use it to summarize meetings or I'll take a transcript of a meeting off of Zoom. 
and uh, or or WebEx or Teams, and I will put it in there and ask it to grab the key bullets from the conversation and whatever action items are to articulate those action items in an email. This is probably saving me personally somewhere around, call it 20 to 30 minutes a day. Uh, Seth, at the rate that I get paid, uh, or at the rate that I earn, I would say that because I really work for myself, I mean, being the owner of the company, but at the rate that I earn, 30 minutes a day is non-trivial. And believe me, I make more than the $20 in that time. So it's it's really well worth it to me. If you, I don't use it in ways it can't work. Uh, you have to be very careful. And I, I think the way you want to think about ChatGPT, for those who are listening, there are some parameters that you might want to use to shape your decision as to how and uh, you should use ChatGPT and if you should use it for a given task. So I use it where the stakes are relatively low. Uh, write a poem for my friend's kid's birthday. Like it does, there is no right or wrong answer. There's nothing like that's a very low stakes. But that's what you're saving 30 minutes a day. No, on? Well, by the way, if I was going to write a poem for my, uh, just hear me out. There's Who's writing poems. Uh, what text stream listener is writing poems? By the way, if you don't spend a few minutes each day doing something creative and wonderful for your friends, someone's retiring, you write them a little bit of a retirement letter that's a bit of a roast. I like I do all kinds of crazy stuff. But anyway, the, the way you need to think about this is how high or how low are the stakes? And then you have to think about accuracy and fluency. How accurate do I need this text to be when I the output to be or how fluent and flowery does it need to be? So if fluency is important, if you need verbiage, and if you need, uh, and it's relatively low stakes where, you know, you just, the outcome is going to be okay. The output's going to be okay. Or if you are enough of a subject matter expert to check facts without, without having to like spend a lot of external time researching, because when it's right, it's right. When it's wrong, it's wrong. Then, then that's the sweet spot. So you think about high and low stakes, high fluency versus high accuracy. And wherever you put the task in the middle of that, if it falls into the sweet spot, like summarizing a meeting, I was in that meeting. If I don't, if I'm reading the summary and it gets something wrong, I can add to it very easily. I was in the meeting, but it's going to take me 20 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes to go back and think if I'm taking notes during the thing, am I paying attention? These are like good workflow and process things. So there are real good use cases. But again, the framework is lower high accuracy and fluency, lower high stakes. That's the way I think about it. And inside the sweet spot, there's a lot of time to be saved. And it's worth 20 bucks a month. I don't know. I, I, I First of all, I guess in, in my world, I don't need it. Um, it doesn't do anything that I need it to do. Um, I think I've told you every time I've used it for something <laughs> on this podcast. That's how infrequent uh, I've used it. I have played with it. And what I've noticed is I ask it things. What what I'm amazed by is the context. I love the idea that we were saying, um, write a story about uh, tennis star Victoria Azarenka. Uh, write a song about her in the style of Taylor Swift. <laughs> and then you say, okay, write a story about Victoria Azarenka in the style of Prince. And it changes. That's cool. But I've asked it very, very menial things about stuff I know a lot about factually and it's wrong. And I don't know. I, I just, I can't imagine. I don't have term papers. I don't have, I don't have assignments. I don't have a blog. 
I don't have things that would need it. And if you told me, if you came in and said, hey, by the way, uh, you're done with chat GPT for the day, I'd be like, okay, move on to the next thing. So it doesn't matter if it's $2, $10, $20. You know, I have that famous uh, gag uh, on my Hall of Justice podcast about when I uh, didn't want to pay $30 to see Mulan, not because I was cheap, but because I didn't want to see Mulan. And then to 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 overcompensate for that, I offered to pay $75 to see Wonder Woman 2, which was awful. And the egg was on my face. Um, it's not the cost. It's not the $20. I wouldn't pay 20 cents for it because it's not worth it. All right, here we go. Give me five career highlights of Derek Jeter right now. Boom, go. Uh, five-time world champion, eight-time all-star. Um he made the throw. He he made the the flip catch in the two thousand one um, ALCS. Uh, he had an awful documentary on <laughs> on ESPN Plus. Okay, ready? Five. New York Yankees captain uh, from two thousand three to two thousand fourteen. Um, he was the first player to hold that position since Don Mattingly retired in ninety five. Five time World Champion, World Series champion. Was part of five World Series teams, 96, 98, 99, 2000, 2009, 14 time All Star, 2000 World Series MVP, uh, and 3000 Hits Club. Jeter became the 20th player in Major League Baseball history, reached 3000 hits in his career, and did so with a home run on July 9th, 2011. That took uh, this thing about one second to put up. So no, it's but like, why do I need to know that? Well, you're since you do sports with friends and sports casting, when something comes up, you could Google it or you could type it into Chat GPT, and it would give you like conversational. But it's not, but it's not reliable. It's not reliable. I've said, tell me the history of the Seattle Mariners, and it doesn't do it. Ask the history of the Seattle Mariners. But in the context of what? So give Did me a hundred ask? word summary on the uh, Seattle Mariners. Okay. The Seattle Mariners are a Major League Baseball uh, team in Seattle, Washington. That's true. The team was founded in 1977 as an expansion team and became the first MLB team to be based in the Pacific Northwest region of the United States. Despite early struggles, the Mariners made their first playoff appearance in 1995 and won their first division title in 1997. Over the years, the Mariners have had several notable players, including Hall of Famer Edgar Martinez and Ichiro Suzuki. Despite a long playoff drought, the Mariners have dedicated uh have a dedicated fan base and continue to be a staple of seattle's sports scene not ken griffey jr not, unmentioned i read unmentioned. you the whole hundred words i read unmentioned. you the hundred words chat gpt does not approve of ken griffey jr's career that's Let's... fine it's not worth twenty dollars <laughs> you heard it here first folks it's not <laughs> worth 20 bucks seth the curmudgeon um yeah. Call and me the, the Grinch who stole ChatGPT. That's right. The Grinch who stole ChatGPT has arrived. And, I, and it's funny because I'm not anti. I'm not anti of it. No, what, I, you, what I found is it's it's a nice tool to have. I, I I am impressed that you use it as much as you do. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't even think we've, about it. You know, we've, we've worked into the workflow and process of about 10 different things we do here. And it, every day we come up with another use case that's saving five, 10 minutes here, five, 10 minutes there. Tell you the truth. That, that and what makes this thing really worth it to me and by and we just to be very clear and full disclosure we've been using gpt3 for the better part of a year so chat gpt is an application that sits on top of that and it's the chat client that sits on top of gpt3 now gpt3.5 the the way to get to that is through an api at OpenAI, which has been around for quite some time. And, and uh, OpenAI is a company. 
it's the company that that right. is the underlying technology. When you think about this technology, Seth, it's important, I think, to understand, especially for tech stream listeners who are more technical, there are three layers to this that are fascinating. The first is the infrastructure layer. That's where uh, either Google Cloud or AWS or Azure come in. And in that infrastructure, you do two things. One, you train models there because that you need an immense amount of computational power, uh, usually in the form of GPUs or TPUs. GPUs are graphics processing units. TPUs are tensor processing units. If you're using TensorFlow from Google, this is silicon. And these are cards that are tuned, uh, specifically built rather to run uh, TensorFlow calculations. So you need a lot of uh, computational power. Then the same infrastructure is also going to run the inference workload. Once once uh, a model is trained, it needs to run so that it can give you answers. And it runs on big infrastructure. It runs on these big clouds. There aren't a, there aren't a lot of them. Azure at Microsoft, AWS at Amazon, Google Cloud at Google, Facebook's got a, a big cloud infrastructure. So you're going to need big tech. Sitting above that are the models themselves. This is, you know, Seth Everett, data scientist. Uh, you you write the Seth Everett sports model that includes Ken Griffey Jr. And, um, you, you know, you're going to write the baseball model that is a, an application, that that is a model super trained on baseball. And then sitting above that are the applications that utilize the models. So there's three layers, the infrastructure, the AI models themselves, and then the applications. There's all kinds of opportunities in the world for people to do business in all three areas, right? You can either uh, specialize in, in training and, and creating synthetic data and real data for training models. You can specialize in building models. You can specialize in, in building or using applications on top of these models. This is a brave new world. I'm completely convinced, Seth, that you know we had... Um, a few times in history that are pre and post you could may sometimes you call it the industrial age or or you know the okay things before the industrial age things afterwards the steam engine probably was one of the big turning points we had you know you, humans ability to build things before it and then after it and the world we see around us you know the steam engine amplified amplified the power of our muscles by thousands or millions of times then we had the electric light bulb happen and once the electric light bulb happened all of a sudden there were day and night were no longer the separators of how we could do work. You you could do work 24 hours a day if you wanted to. And, and people started to, our whole world changed. So there was before electric light and after electric light. And then um, if you think about this, there's before the internet and after the internet. And I think there's going to be before generative pre-chain transformers were available to consumers and after, I think this is a, one of those turning points. AI will do for our brain what the steam engine did for our muscles. The steam engine, like I said, it amplified the power of our muscles. So you think it'll make people think more? Oh, you're going to be... You'll, because you, it's going to make college kids do less. No. It's going to make college kids do an awful lot more and actually a lot more critical thinking. I am probably uh, the most contrarian uh, about this fear of cheating Everyone's scared. Oh, it's writing college essays and it's the kids don't have to think. AI will amplify the power of your brain by thousands or millions of times if you bring to it knowledge. What knowledge do you need to bring? I didn't know Ken Griffey Jr. was missing from that little missive that ChatGPT wrote in 100 words. You did. 
in your hundred words, you would have definitely included Ken Griffey Jr. as part of the Seattle Mariners history. Right. Without that unique subject matter expertise, nobody would know it was not there. So someone who tried to rely on ChatGPT to give them a hundred word history of the Mariners either would have not known it was omitted or just assumed that it was correct and they would have been really poorly represented. You would never accept that output and you would have rewritten the query saying, give me the hundred word history of the Seattle Mariners and include, please include uh, references to Ken Griffey Jr. And we would see what it would say. And so your, your subject matter expertise along with the tool makes you more powerful. And that's what's going to happen with college students. By the way, I've asked this question one million times. I'm going to ask it again. What is the baseline of education we need for our children in the 21st century? Is it eighth grade? Is it the same education you would have gotten? Well, this is what we talked about when COVID was, you know, when, when the pandemic was not coming to an end, but it was getting back to normal and people were going back to classrooms. We talked about how much was missed. But I mean, what... Do you, do you need the education you would have gotten in, in Oxford or Cambridge in 1770, where you had uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, natural sciences, theology, philosophy? Like, do you need to read the classics and understand, like, how to, do you need to know the scientific method and know how to have a Socratic conversation and seek truth? Because that will make you better at search. And then you need to know how to do Boolean searches in Google really quickly. And now Google's imperiled because the GPT tools, the generative AI tools are going to do to search what search did to everything else. Why would I search Google for the capital of, of France if the real question I had is, I'm going to, to France next month. Where's What are the best cities to visit and what are the best things to see in those cities? That's really what I'm looking for. And so why wouldn't I just ask that question? You, you could try to ask that question of Google. You're going to get a lot of nonsense and a bunch of things to click on that are ads. Or you could just ask chat GPT and get a really nice list of the things you ought to see in the country. I'm flying into Paris. Should I spend two days there or three days there? And if so, what should I see? You could ask it that question. That's not a question you can ask Google right now without being absolutely inundated with nonsense and ads and things Google makes money on when you click. So what's the baseline of education I need to ask the right questions? What's the baseline of education I need to bring uh, the scientific method, to bring the Socratic method to my conversations and to my, uh, my seeking the truth? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm pretty convinced that these tools are going to help us become better thinkers, more critical thinkers, uh, bigger thinkers. In 1490-something, Columbus sailed something. You put that into Google, it's going to tell you. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Why did you ask the question? What did you need to know? What? Right. Not the date, not the who. What happened? What was, what was the meaning of that entire voyage and journey? Why do I care about it? What's the context of that question? These are, these are not what our education system teaches. Also, Seth, not for nothing, our education system at the moment is all about you proving you've learned something that's finite. That's not like life anymore. Everything you and I do in our day-to-day -day business is dealing with brand new problems, with changing landscapes, with completely shifting sands under our feet, trying to solve problems every day. 
And what we're doing is we're taking our wisdom and experience and we're trying to apply it looking forward. That is the absolute opposite of memorize these 10 things and parrot it back on a test to prove you know it. Oh, of course. Uh, of course. And that that's a much larger, not even tech question about education. I guess my 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 follow up to you is, you know, when we had the invention of the, the personal computer, it wasn't long before there were competition for the marketplace. Is someone else trying to per perfect their AI so that they can dwarf chat GPT or yeah. Is this the pioneer? Like in 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 18 months, are we going to be talking about AI or are we going to be talking about chat GPT? You're, you're going to be talking about AI writ large, not necessarily GPT-3 or by then maybe GPT-4 will be out. You're, you're going to be talking about Google's version, Lambda or whatever they turn it into because Google actually invented Transformers and they have a, a 200 plus billion dollar search business to protect. Do you remember the firm Kodak? Remember those guys? Sure. The film, you know, yeah, they did film, right? Do you know what happened to them? Yeah. People started getting iPhones. Yeah. <laughs> Actually before <laughs> iPhones, they started getting digital cameras. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> which were not made by Kodak in any way. Right. So Kodak for the better part of the 20th century, dominated the film and paper business, the photography industry. And at its peak, it had more than 80% market share of the film business in the United States and more than 50% globally. Throughout the entire last half of the 20th century, Kodak, Kodak, Kodak. We used to call it the great yellow father. I mean, I was in film school. Everything was Kodak. They were the experts. They had total expertise. They had all the film and paper in the world. They even made some consumer cameras, if you remember. There were Kodak moments and you know all that stuff. Anyway, by 2006, that company was completely destroyed by digital photography. But here's the irony. Kodak invented digital photography in 1975. They literally invented it. And the engineer's name was Steve Sasson. And he was told by his senior executives, his bosses, to keep his mouth shut and tell no one because they were afraid it would impact their film and paper business. Couldn't make any money on selling digital cameras because there was no film and paper. Then a multi, multi-million dollar film and paper business. They were in 2006. They 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 discontinued Kodachrome, which up until then had been the most popular film in the world, film stock in the world. Paul Simon wrote that great song, Kodachrome. But I mean, Kodachrome <laughs> was the the film that you used in your in your point and shoot cameras. And then by 2012, the company was bankrupt. But they invented digital photography 30 years earlier, and and there was nothing more actually, and there was nothing they could do because they were trying to preserve their business. Well, Google invented this technology for, for Google Translate and for search to help them with search. They literally invented pre-trained transformer models. That's their tech. They're just trying to protect their um, 200 plus billion dollar ad and search business. So how will Google answer OpenAI? Microsoft just put 10 billion in cash into this company. They're going to incorporate uh, OpenAI's chat uh, GPT and GPT-3, the actual main model, the large language model into Excel and PowerPoint and Word. So we're going to, these are all going to be incorporated into Microsoft products going forward. Uh, you know, Sundar Pinchai, who's the uh, CEO of Google on February 8th of 2023 is going to have a press conference and he's going to explain how 
they're going to use AI to reimagine search. And they promise that you are going to be able to interact directly with their version of a large language model. Uh, they're promising the newest, most powerful language models, which are at Google, are going to be available to people. So you and I are not going to be talking about chat GPT specifically. We're going to be talking about a war. And I mean a real live war, like Death Star versus like other Death Star, two monster companies, Microsoft and Google, facing off with two different large language models, uh, GPT and Lambda. Yep. And and they're going to be incorporated into their individual products. And everybody is going to be trying to make some money here by giving us more productivity. There's going to be the time before Transformers hit the consumer market and the time afterwards. So 20 bucks a month may be uh, steep for what ChatGPT is or the way you perceive it to be. Or maybe it's just the wrong implementation for your use case. But if it was part of Word and part of – if you're doing a PowerPoint presentation and you you basically said, I need, a, I need a picture of a glass half empty on this page and it put it you know, there and it put it there. And it's like, give me six bullet points from this paragraph. No, that's too many. Give me th the three most important ones. <laughs> That's it's a like, great point. I mean, it's like, and you're done. If it's already in PowerPoint, if you're writing in Word and it's, and it just starts helping you, right? If you're doing something in Excel and you don't remember the formula, it's like, I want to try to do this. And it just writes the formula for you. And these are, that's going to help a lot of people, Seth. You know, people could search that on Google. And there's even, there, obviously, Excel has a help menu. And if you start typing stuff, it'll tell you functions of formulas, but not everybody has the skills to use those. Everybody right. has the skill to say, I want to take these two columns and I want to make sure that the email addresses are unique. Can you help me out there? And I'd like anyone could do that. So I, we're in for a big shift, a really big shift. And a lot of people are, you know, not happy about it. I think there's a lot of um, strong feelings about oh. chat GPT and, and, and art programs like mid journey. There's people who don't like change. I mean, they're, 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 you were scared. There's a whole group of people. Yeah, people <laughs> That's are a separate scared. podcast altogether. Yeah, yeah, but the people are scared too. They look. They're, the I've had so many people come at me. You know, the robots are not going to take my jobs, and I I want to sue, and I'm we're not going to let them copyright this crap. And it's like, oh my goodness, really? That's and what you're hearing is is people misunderstanding copyright laws and people just scared that they're going to lose their jobs or their livelihood. And you know what? We have to respect those feelings. But I think it's incumbent upon us to also try and explain the difference between the, the the what really is going to happen and what really isn't. And if you're wondering what that is, folks, in one simple sentence, AI is not taking your job. People who learn to use AI better than you learn to use it are going to take your job. Well, as I as we as we put a bow on this one, all I can say is, will the next company, whatever they are. Whoever they, they, they happen to be that's designing their own AI, do me a favor. Don't call it ChatGP anything. <laughs> call it KITT for short. Get William Daniels to voice every word that you can say using some kind of voice synthesizer and let me have it in my car. Oh, my God. That would be so fun. I have no comment. <laughs> we'll see you next week. We'll